0: Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Go ahead, you can be seated. We're going to turn up the lights and... Uh, get going. I want to add my voice of welcome to you in this room, also to you online watching us uh, from wherever you are. We're so glad you're with us today. Uh, What we've been discovering is we're in this third volume, this third series of the book of Acts. If you've noticed the first volume and even the second volume, we really camped out in some passages just for for a long time, extended and and really looked at things. And uh, one of the things would be easy to be confused thinking, that what we were trying to do, or attempting to do, is do a verse by verse teaching through the Book of Acts. Really, what we were doing is a theme by theme teaching of Acts, looking at the big movements, uh, the lessons that the Book of Acts has for the church. And and so what we see is what the last half of the Book of Acts really is God giving the the final lesson to the early church, which was that the gospel is not just for the Jewish people but it's for the entire world and and so we see in the in the middle of the book of acts god exposing that god showing that to his church and then the realization that those first Jewish believers were not really the right people they were not uh, equipped to go into the into the pagan world, go into the non-Jewish world. And so what does God do? He miraculously saves a man by the name of Saul, who is especially equipped to be able to bring the gospel into the Greek and Roman culture. And and so the last, last week with Pastor Dave, he introduced that topic. He showed us who Saul was, who Paul was. He showed us that Paul's ministry was very different than Peter's. Peter could preach and he could give a sermon that was Really, a fairly typical sermon or a fairly plain sermon, and thousands of people would come to Christ. Paul, one of the brightest minds of the Greco Roman culture, uh, an incredible philosopher, that two thirds of the New Testament is uh, based upon his writing, upon the thinking that he has as the Holy Spirit uh, breathed into his life. Incredible mind, and when he is done preaching, there are people, as Dave pointed out last week interested in talking to him a little bit more. I mean, wh- what a difficult preaching assignment, going on multiple missionary journeys. And, 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 and that's what Dave was talking about last week. What we see is Paul went through very, several missionary journeys. He ticked off a lot of people. He ticked off the Jewish population because he was preaching something very different than what they were uh, used to hearing. Just hearing, a, hearing of a risen Jesus was offensive to the Jewish people. He ticked off the Roman and Greek uh, civilization because one of the things that would happen as Paul labored for an extensive period of time in the Roman world was we saw trade being interrupted because much of the trade and commerce that was uh, existed in the Roman world was based upon uh, the worship of these pagan gods. And as people were beginning to embrace the cross, they turned away from the pagan gods. And so what happened? Silversmiths and goldsmiths and artisans who made their living by making these small deities, these small stone and small silver statues for people to buy and put in their homes, their their business evaporated, so they got mad and they got upset and they started complaining to Paul. And so Paul realized he had many, many enemies. In the midst of this, Paul is on a journey, and he is becoming a very famous person in his world because he is just disturbing so much stuff that he uh, experiences at some point. uh, He knows that it is time for him to come back to Jerusalem. Two things that Paul knows and two things that we know because Paul makes it clear to us is, one, God called him to go back to Jerusalem. It wasn't a trip that he was taking on his own accord or on his own merit, but because he was called, he was sent to go. And two, he knew that when he went to Jerusalem, trouble awaited him. Trouble awaited him. Now in the midst of that, we introduce our theme tonight. Our theme today is over the idea of last words, last words and testament. You know, one of the things I, I took uh, this earlier this week, uh, I believe on Thursday, I went to, uh, went to a, a cemetery here in Springfield, Abraham Lincoln Cemetery. It's a small cemetery, very, peop- very few people would know, on the edge of Pythian. The interesting thing about that, it's a historically significant cemetery because in Springfield, I learned, uh, in the 1800s and the early 1900s, when African American people died, they were allowed to be buried in the cemeteries where white folks were buried, but they had to be on the edge of the cemetery with a fence and a gate surrounding their that area of the cemetery. Uh, you know the idea of well we, we just don't want to mix, we don 't want to mix white people and black people even in death, I suppose was the thinking and so what happened was The Abraham Lincoln Cemetery was a place that was reserved where where African-American people could be buried there without the indignity of being fenced in. And so the cemetery was wide open for all the population to come and go and visit their loved ones without having to go through a gate, without the indignity of believing that even in death there was a form of imprisonment for their loved ones and that cemetery still exists today it it, uh, f- it was founded in, in the 1920s I believe and and so I was there that, that's an aside there kind of an interesting point I was there and I did a little live video for Facebook in which I was asking the question about last words that are recorded on people's tombstones on their gravestones those are you know interesting some are ho-hum and some are interesting some give us an insight into how the person lived and what It was important to that person. I received one, one person told me that a dentist, a well-known dentist in town wrote on his, had written on his tombstone, I have filled my last cavity. There you go. There is one that's recorded that's actually in North Carolina, I'm told, that says, here lies Paul. Paul liked women. Ma caught Paul with two women swimming. Here lies Paul. There you go. Make with it as you will. You know, thinking about death in our culture is avoided, isn't it? We go to great lengths as people to try to pretend that we are not aging, that we are not ultimately dying, right? We will do incredible things to our bodies. We will do incredible things to uh, with our bank accounts as far as taking trips and going away to try to continue to capture our young lives. We will take incredible measures, uh, accomplishments. Uh, many of us men, if we're not in check, if we are not wise, if we don't have... Accountability within our lives if we don't have a good small group in which we can embrace those other men and talk about what's going on inside. If we're uh, if we're, we're a, a solo person, oftentimes we can make poor decisions in our forties and fifties, buy cars that are way too fast or toys that are way too expensive, or try to act like we're teenagers again and chase women even though we are married, right? We make terrible decisions, often called a midlife crisis. What's the purpose of that? It's because of the the quintessential fact that is in the back of our minds, and that is half of our life is over. Now what? What else can I do in my life to really live before I go to the grave? Well, this is where we see where Paul is headed because as he is headed to Jerusalem, Paul is face-to-face with his mortality. He recognizes... Trouble awaits for him. He, and so here we see in this passage of Scripture, in Acts chapter 20, he is on his way to Jerusalem. He meets up in a city with some dearly loved friends. He spent probably the most productive time in Paul's ministry was in the church of Ephesus. In Ephesus, he spent three years there ministering and laboring as a pastor. He developed deep roots there with people he dearly, dearly loved. And these people met him in Miletus to talk with him. And it is here that Paul gives what I would consider his last will and testament, his last words that were on Paul's tombstone, if you will. And that's what we are picking up here as we see this speech that Paul gives to the church, to these dear friends of his in, uh, from Ephesus uh, found in Acts chapter 20, if you have a copy of scriptures, I invite you to, to click there, to turn there, and follow along with me. If you don't have a copy of scriptures, follow along on the screens for me. It's interesting to note also, this is something for you Bible students and Bible scholars to be aware, that Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38, is not only the longest, it's the only speech that is recorded in the book of Acts that is directed to the church, If you think about everything that we have of Peter, everything we have of Stephen, everything we have of Paul, extended speeches that are given, extended sermons that are given in the book of Acts, all of them are directed at the lost world. All of them are directed to the unchurched. All of them are directed to people who are outside of the church. This passage, this sermon, this talk is the only one that's directed at the church. I think that's relevant. I think that's Pointing, I think that's the reason that, and that's the reason why we take time to read this passage here. So we start up in verse seventeen. I'm just going to read the whole thing so you can hear it from Paul's uh, from Paul's own lips here as he was speaking. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them. So Paul's talking. You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, and now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me my only aim is to finish this race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, now I, now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. You see, Paul's not stuttering, is he? He's saying very clearly, the "'You that I love dearly, you that are my friends, "'you will never see me again. "'I know this. "'Therefore I declare to you that today "'that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, "'for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you "'the whole will of God. "'Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock "'of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. "'Be shepherds of the church of God, "'which he brought with his own blood.' I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said is more blessed to give than to receive. "'When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. "'They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. "'What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. "'Then they accompanied him to his ship, and Paul's words were absolutely clear and right, correct. "'They never saw one another again.'" Here is Paul, in essence, is preaching his funeral sermon. He is sharing with these people, the people he dearly loved, one last thought to govern their church by and one last thought to govern their lives by. I would argue that Dana's not in here, so I can be morbid. Uh, If if I pass away, then you're wondering and scratching, John, you're saying, "What, what should I say about Tony? I'm giving you right now my funeral sermon. So take careful notes. This is what I would want preached at my funeral here. This is what Paul was saying that if he could put a, put some words on a tombstone, I believe there are three very essential thoughts that he captures here in this talk of his uh, that would be on Paul's tombstone. The first one was that the simple fact that I have been faithful to Jesus. Paul shares with us in in. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we see this here when Paul is saying, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. This task of testifying as to the grace of Jesus Christ. Paul was incredibly faithful to the task that Jesus uh, placed in His life, and in today, uh, in our midst, we live uh, among two extremes. Most of us in this world here, most of us in this room here, have one of two opinions that we go by. One extreme that we will live by, that some of us live by, and that is that we are responsible for everyone around us. We are responsible for everything that happens uh, to people in our midst, and you know, w- these are people who they see something going on, they see someone struggling in another family or another maybe a part of their extended family, and they own that so much that they insert themselves to a point that is unhealthy, to a point that is unwelcomed in that family. Why? Because you're trying to fix that family. Many of us, and for the record, this is where I probably, when I go to an extreme, this would be the extreme I find myself in, right? Because we find ourselves, many of us teachers and counselors and people that are first responders, what? We find ourselves in a position where we can just naturally insert ourselves into life of people who are in trouble and lives of people who need help and so what we find ourselves doing is just naturally we find ourselves as being responsible for people and and for everything that is going on around us. Uh, For you, if you're in that position, if you're that person that goes to that extreme, I would caution you as your friend and as your pastor, because here I am inserting myself into your life, right, and helping you in this area. I would tell you that you are not responsible to save the world. You are not responsible to fix everyone around you, right? And for the record, I remind myself of that often, that it is not God did not make me pastor to save the world. The good news for you, if you're afraid, if you're, if you're a person that's just on the edge exploring the Christian message and you're wondering if the faith is for you, if one of the things that's hindering you is you're afraid that God is calling you to become a missionary wearing a pith helmet in Africa, the deepest, darkest part of Africa, the good news is chances are the vast majority of the people God saves, he does not call to save the world, right? Right? He calls you to do a task in your life. He calls you to be faithful in your life, but he doesn't necessarily call you to save the world. So that's good news for you. So that's one extreme. People that are convinced that they are meant to save the world and they're responsible for everything around them. You, friend, I tell you, just butt out. Stop worrying about other people besides your family, besides the people under direct influence in you, in your life. But let me tell you, there's another extreme that many of us go to. And in this extreme, there are those people who have no clue that God has given them a job to do in this world. And so they live as if they are responsible to no one. They live as if they are, are called to do nothing for the church and for the kingdom. And for you, I would say that you need to understand that life is more than raising your family. Life is more than making a living. Life is more than amassing stuff or recur- or, or just getting a healthy retirement. You are more than your job, friend. You are more than your hobby, friend. You are more than deer hunting. You are more than golfing. Yes, you're even more than the baseball cardinals, right? Because there's more to life than just the things we do or the outings we take. There's more than life, dare I say, the unpardonable sin in America today. There's more to life than your children. Little Johnny's not the smartest kid. He's not the most attractive kid. He's not the brightest kid. He is not the Messiah of the American culture. And yes, I can say that about myself too with Dax. The reality is too many of us are wrapped up in just me, myself, and and ours, right? We're wrapped up in our family. We're wrapped up in our hobbies. We're wrapped up in our job. And that's all we're convinced about. Friend, that's just as equal uh, an extreme as the other one that I just shared with you. Yes, it's obnoxious when people think they got to save the world and they are constantly inserting themselves in places that they are not wanted. Trust me, I know, because I've been there before. But let me tell you, it's just equally as as devastating for families who just don't give a rip. Moms and dads to not care because they're just wrapped up in their own little world and their own little culture. And yes, to you I would say this, God has given you a job that is beyond your family. God has given you a job that extends past your work or past your retirement or past your vacation time. God has given you a task, and it's your job to figure out what it is and do it. When you die, God is not going to judge you on, did you save the world? He's going to judge you on, were you faithful to your calling? So that begs the question, what has Jesus called you to? what has Jesus called you to? If you're scratching your head and you're going, man, I don't know. I don't have a clue. Well, maybe you begin researching that in your life. Begin asking God in your quiet time, Lord, what are you calling me to? For all of us in this room here, I can tell you this, I believe that if you plant yourself in the life of Northbridge Church, I can help you with that because after all, I go to the first extreme where I insert myself into people's lives to try to help them even when they don't want me to. So I'm doing that right now, Dave. Uh, and what I would say is this. If you're a part of Northbridge Church and you consider yourself an owner of Northbridge Church, then, then you uh, have recognized that you're going to be a person that will stand in the gap when no one else will. And so when you ask the question, well, what is God calling me to? Perhaps for all of us, part of the answer is to stand in the gap. To stand in the gap when no one else is standing in the gap. To stand in the gap for people who can't stand the gap for themselves. To stand in the gap for people who don't want to stand in the gap. To stand in the gap and share the message of the love of Christ and how that love can change us, not only today in this very moment, but for all of eternity. Stand in the gap. I have been faithful to Jesus, Paul says. A second thing we see here that Paul is telling us, if he's putting this on his tombstone, is I told the truth. I told the truth, Paul declares in this talk to the Ephesians. You see, we see this at verse 20. Go ahead, Brendan, pop verse 20 up. Paul is reminding us. he says, "You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I have taught you publicly and from house to house. Paul saying, "I've not kept my mission a secret. I've not kept the the purposes of Jesus quiet i'm I'm not just." just uh, talked to a a few people, but I've gone from house to house to house. Verse 27, he continues his thought and he says, "'I have not hesitated to proclaim to you "'the whole will of God.'" You see here in modern America, we, even even the most devout of us, we tend to hide our faith because we're afraid that our friends won't like us, we're afraid that we might be over, passed over on a job opportunity, we're afraid that maybe the client won't jive with us. We're afraid that maybe our coworkers just won't respond as positively if they knew that we believe this thing called the Bible, or if we were, if they knew that we were governing ourselves other than what public opinion said, or whether, the, or something other than just what our inner voice is telling us. That somehow we will be outside of the PT. O's and we will be outside of our HOAs, and we will be outside of our pockets of friends and professionals. And we just we tell ourselves that it's okay to be quiet because, after all, we want to make those people comfortable. We want them to be comfortable with us because how can we, how can we even share the message if people are uncomfortable with our faith to begin with? So let's just be quiet. And so what do we do? We hide behind living a moral life. And we hide behind doing the right thing, saying, we say to ourselves that we will allow our actions to be our witness. We will allow people to come to faith because they see what good and kind and loving people we are. And for the record, friends, I'm not telling you to stop doing that. Don't hear me say stop being kind and stop being loving, stop being charitable. No, that's antithesis of the Christian message. But what I'm saying is this, I'm saying that there will come a time, there will come a time that words have to be shared. Someone I have never, in 38 years of ministry, I've never experienced someone come to Christ. And when I say, how did you come to know who Jesus is? They said, you know, my neighbor is just such a good person. They're so good. And I just, just one day I woke up and Jesus parted the clouds and said, look at your neighbor. If you want that, come to me. I've never had that testimony shared with me. Now, for, in all fairness, I have had a lot of people come and say, you know, I just observed so-and-so or observed someone or there have been some married men that would come and say, you know, my wife became a Christian and I just started watching her and her life changed. And and so, yeah, I have heard stories of of people saying, I've watched those Christians. You know what? I saw the love and the joy that they had. And I went to them and I asked them, why are you so different than me? What makes you better than me? And I've heard the gospel. I heard the gospel or maybe I'd hear this story. I've heard this story often in which someone says, man, I watched that person or I watched my, my cousin or my brother or my sister or I watched my neighbor and I just saw that they were, they were different. They had confidence. They had something that I didn't have and one day they invited me to church and so I just went along with them because I realized I don't have what they have and maybe it's found at church. And when I was at church with them, I heard about this gospel I heard about this gospel, and maybe most of those stories, they weren't ready to embrace it that first time they heard it. But what happened? They went back home, and they continued to do life with their neighbor or their brother or their sister. They continued to do life with their friend. And during that time, through conversations, many conversations, in which people were being clear about the gospel, that person embraces faith, and they come to Jesus. You see, the reality is this, friend. If I see you headed for destruction and I cannot, call you my, I cannot call you my friend and not tell you the truth. You see that? If I truly love you and I'm seeing your boat sinking, I got to throw a life raft to you. I gotta, if I'm a beggar and, and, and I see a friend hungry, I got to tell them where the bread is. That's only what a good friend will do. And so the question that I ask you today as we reflect and think about this scripture is have you been clear with your friends, co-workers, family members about the reason that you have hope in Jesus? Or would they just look at you and say, oh yeah, they go to church because that's just part of their life, that's just part of who they are, but there's no difference here. There's no difference in their lives than what we have. Paul told the truth, he says, the whole time. And the final thing here, the the final thought that I just gravitate towards as I see Paul speaking to these friends of his is the statement, I finished strong. I finished strong. You see, the reality is, and this, I'm just... Tell you, I wish now. I wish I had both the pulpit so I could do the preachy, preachy thing, and I wish I had my table to sit out and just visit, like with a cup of coffee in my hand and talk to you. Because this is probably the saddest part of the ministry. Because over the years, I've seen so many. Matter of fact, most people, most people that I interact with, with the church and coming into 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 my my little sphere, my world. They finish, they start, they start strong. They start well. But few finish well. This is my heartbreak, friends. To try to to try to take the edge off and to try to make it not so sad and tragic for me. I will often refer to these folks as the Christian version of the one-hit wonders of the faith, right? And I will think of them as the Starland vocal band or perhaps they represent Dexie's Midnight Runner. Maybe someone there is like Right Said Fred or Daniel Powder or Collie's Swag District. That's right. I've hit every era from the 1970s, friends, so you could attach yourself to one of those bands at some point. You see, Jesus talks of these people as they... In his famous parable about the the good soils, he says you know that there's there's as everyone ha- or these different individuals have chances for the gospel seeds to be put in their life that these are the people that 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 the the roots and the shoots of faith get choked out because of pressure and because of the worries and the cares of this life. These are the people that it's tragic because they start off so strong but maybe not weeks, maybe not months, but sometimes even years into their life just Things happen, and you just see it. Maybe they keep on staying at church. They never break their church attendance, but you see the passion gone. You saw where this person was willing to sacrifice everything, and they would charge hard, hell with a water pistol. To now when you say, hey, would you would you help me with this project, or would you come connect in this menial way in some way, they greet it with a yawn, and a, you know, it's just... Just, I'm busy. I got a lot going and, you know, a lot with my family right now. No, thank you, Tony. If you're taking notes, maybe these three things will help you here because the reality is all of us, all of us deal with this. We all either will finish well, we'll finish strong, or we won't. And what I've learned is there are three big stones, big rocks that impede upon our faith, and that is the rock of pain, the rock of fatigue, Or thirdly, the rock of divided hearts, right? You will be tempted. You will face, do you finish well in this life with your faith when when pain begins to hit you, when you begin to experience pain and, and you find yourself that if I just push back away from being faithful to God, some of this pain will recede. Some of this pain will stop. Some of us, fatigue enters in. Because let's face it, I'm going to tell you the truth. It is hard to be a Christian. It is hard to follow the ways of Christ. And it is tiring to do that. And I've met family after family that after the birth of a new baby or after a new change in their transition, maybe a new job or a new home comes into play, that they say, I just can't be there. I just can't be a part of this culture as much because I'm just tired and we need time with our family. I need time at home. And hear me clearly. One of the reasons why Northbridge started, the reason why we have the structure that we have is because we recognize that the American church had families too busy. I get it. And I'm not saying that you, don't don't hear me saying that that you are to be in every program and every day of the week, there needs to be something that your family's committed to with the church and you should be running, 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 running. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this, I've experienced it with our church in the culture of 15 years where we've taken every possible thing that could be potentially busy activity off the calendar. There is still a strong temptation for us to say when it comes to entering into worship faithfully, entering into life and friendship with people in small groups and serving in a regular basis. I find so often the excuse is still there of you know what? I'm just too tired and I just I just we just need more family time. We just need more time, just our unit. That no matter how much we take off the table, there is a temptation that is placed within our lives implicitly. And it's, it's there by the enemy, I'm convinced, that if, he, if, we can, if we can convince ourselves that we're tired, if we can make ourselves so busy on the outside world with other things, that then when we do things that are truly important that will we'll build up generations to come in the faith family, if we can make ourselves so busy in those areas that we're tired to do these important things, then we don't finish well and then divided hearts. The idea that, yes, every one of us will have to enter and, and ask the question, is the purpose of my life to at- attain as much wealth as possible? Is the per- or, or is it to... Be faithful to the cause of Christ. Is the purpose of my life to attain as many memories and to, to when my, I die, my kids and my grandkids open up the attic and they see the pith helmet and they see the bullwhip and they see the pictures and they see all of the uh, and you're like bullwhip, what are you going with this? Indiana Jones, that's what I'm talking about, friends. Okay, I'm not talking about some other weird life here. I'm talking about Indi- I'm talking about all you know. Oh, Tony's this inter- international man of mystery and he's this and he's got all these memories and he's got all these adventures he's run on and all these stories. About him, I'm not talking about. Is is that the purpose of my life, or is it to be faithful to the cause of Jesus? Is my purpose in life to be to be known within my society as an entrepreneur, or as a as a you know a a big giver, or is my purpose to be known by the name of Christian? Right, we we have divided hearts. It's natural. All of us have to fight with that, you know, and. For too many of us, we look and we go, you know, like that rich man that Jesus told to sell everything and follow him, we look back, we look at Jesus and we go, the cost is too high, Jesus, and we we have to turn around and we don't finish well. And so the question to you is, are you taking your eye off the prize? Another question, as I just conclude today in this very moment, is... Do you want to be a, a person, do you want to be a people that when you pass away, other people say this about you? Do you want people to say what I just talked about, about you at your funeral? If you're saying, yeah, Tony, that's what I want. I want to be known as a person that finishes strong. I want to be a person that is known as telling the truth about the hope I have. I want to be a person where I point to Jesus in my life. Then, what the task is that you need to commit to is start living that way now. Now. Not six months from now when you're in a better position, not two years from now after you get your job life sorted out, not five years from now after your family is done, or ten years from now when your kids are off to college, but now you begin the principles. You begin living this way. Let's pray. As we open up in prayer, I just ask you a simple question. This message has really been about a lot of questions, hasn't it? Uh, I ask you the question, would you pray this to God? Just ask God this simple question. Lord, which of these points stands out to me right now? Lord, which of these points do I really need to lean into in this season of my life, in this time of my life? And Father, we approach your throne of grace. We come to you with incredible confidence knowing that you are desperately in love with us and we are in love with you and we thank you, God, for the, for the grace and the gift of coming to you and being able to talk to you as our Abba Father. And we ask you the question, God, as we look at what Paul said about his life, God, can you, can we say that about ourselves? Lord, can we say that we are people that we point to you and we're faithful to Jesus in our life? Can we say that we're people that when you give us opportunity to share the reason we have confidence in life, to share that we have hope in life, that we're honest about that and we tell people unapologetically it's because of your activity in our life, because of the risen Jesus? God, are we people that one day One day, if you don't come back before, every one of us, every one of us will be being lowered into a grave. Every one of us will have loved ones surrounding us, weeping and saying that life's just going to be different. Will they also be able to say, there was so-and-so, and he finished so well. He finished life so well. He loved Jesus to the very last moment of his breath. Will you find us with that kind of faithfulness, God? Lord, convict your church. Talk to your church right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.